Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. It's always such an honor to have you on. I swear, I, every time I get on this on these airwaves, I just I feel a feeling of absolute rejoice. It's like I'm floating on a cloud above the sky, looking down upon myself, conversing with you, the avid listener, on the microphone. I sit up there on my perch. It's like a dream that I'm living within. And I look down, and I know that all is good when the microphone is rolling, when I get that project buzzing. That's the world I want to live in. That's the world you, the viewer, need to live in. Folks, episode number 29 of the program. Number 29. When you think of number 29, you probably think of your... If you're old as shit, you might think of Ken Dryden. If you're my age, you probably think of maybe a Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, if you're... Maybe you're thinking of Nathan McKinnon. Uh, 29 is a very... Uh, it's a unique number because... Um, it's, I think, like, I used to always say that there's not a single number in the 20s that I don't like. You could wear any one of those numbers, and I think they're pretty good. Um, even 20 is not bad. I actually wore number 21 season in Peewee, my first year Peewee, because I wanted to wear number 22, and that was the closest thing to it. So that was my brain. I wore number 20. But um, I wore number 23 in university, wore number 23, 27 in junior. Uh, but there's no bad numbers in the 20s. But I, I do believe that... Uh, 29 is kind of, I'd say, more so a goalie number. Definitely more so, but um, not like, like you think of, I think of Mike Vernon when I see number 29. But, I mean, like, we got guys like McKinnon buzzing around. Like, the, it, I'd say that's the one number that, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a gray area because, you know, so many goalies do wear it. But, I mean, you got a guys like McKinnon, one of the best players in the world. He's wearing it. Who cares? Okay? Enough of that. Folks, I had a very interesting episode today with the astound master Red Seal chef, Stephen Batonti, business owner, restaurateur, my former boss, a uh, very interesting fella. Uh, we kicked off an interview that spanned almost an hour. Uh, we talked about a bunch of things. He's a, guy that's been, he's a guy that's been doing it for three decades. Um, basically, the only jobs he's ever done are essentially through the hospitality industry. He's been very successful at it. He stayed in North Bay, Ontario and run numerous projects in that city, kind of becoming a bit of a mogul in the, in the scene and, and definitely in that city. So I had a lot of fun working with him. He's a, he's a, a guy that, like, he romances, like, the beauty of working in restaurants. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have such a I, – like, I just appreciate people that love what they do. And Stephen Batani fucking loves what he does, man. Like, this guy has some serious passion. Um, and we, I thought, you know, I had to bring him on. And, um, you know, we announced a little bit of a project that me and him might be working on. We talk a little bit about that in the interview, but we talk about a lot of good things. I mean, we talk about the pandemic, how it affected him as a small business owner, kind of how that went down through the line over the past year. Lots of cool things we talked about. Um, I think I personally love the hospitality industry. And I said this numerous times in the show already, and I, you'll hear this exact saying again, but... I mean, I worked in it. I know there's great stories to be told, to be had, to be brought forth through a podcast of this such. And um, people love going out to eat. Even if you haven't, you, um, you love the stories because you relate to them. We all love restaurants. We all love going out to eat and spoiling ourselves. If you're not rich, that's how you feel rich. All right? You go out. You spend a little bit of money on some grub that you can't afford, that you don't need because the fridge at home's full. You just don't want to cook because maybe you can't cook or maybe you don't cook because you're a lazy piece of shit. All right. So what do we do? We all go out to eat. We fucking love it. All right. Uh, we we didn't really get into the nitty gritty because um, 
there's so many stories. It was tough. Like I had him on for an hour and I was like, man, we could talk for five more hours and we'd still say at the end of it, we wish we could have said more, but um, you'll be hearing a lot more of uh, me and him talking in the near future. So don't worry about that folks. Okay. Uh, we roll on here. Uh, pandemics buzzing. It really is. Uh, some restrictions lightening up in Canada there, but um, I thought Alabama, I thought there was a chance we were going to have everything removed like the great state of Texas and some of the other ones, but uh Still masks going on in Alabama, but uh, I, I'm assuming that uh, that will be coming to an end pretty soon. And, I, and I'm glad to say that it is. Um, I'm, just, I'm just happy for life to kind of somewhat go back to normal. Um, the state's being much further ahead um, than Canada in doing so. I mean, I'm, I worry about Canada. Not to, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but all the money they're saving, man. All the money they might be saving with everyone wearing masks on healthcare, all that shit. They might be telling us to stay socially distant, you know, they could, maybe they do. Hopefully they don't. Um, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. Vaccines, everyone's getting vaccinated. Um, kind of got in an argument with someone the other day. Like I'm not a scientist and I don't know all the facts. All right. But I don't really want to get the vaccine. Like I just had COVID. I got COVID. Um, why would I get a vaccine to give me COVID again when I already have the antibodies? I don't think anyone's going to tell me to get it. I don't think I have to get it, but I'm assuming at some point I will. My antibodies don't last forever, but like, honestly, in my standpoint, like I think I'm a young, healthy guy. I'm sure this isn't allowed, but if my antibodies run out, like I think I would ask, so I'd be like, Hey dude, you have COVID. Can you cough right in my mouth, please? Can you spit down my throat? Maybe I'll contract the virus. I'll beat it again smash it out of the park like i just did a month ago yeah covid you listening are you a listener of this program well listen up right now plug the headphones in a little tighter you can take my taste which you did you can take your my smell which you definitely do you cannot take my spirit okay you cannot take that from me and you never will okay so how about you lock it up pal because i'm coming for you now how about that virus i'm coming at you bro okay lock it up um folks an app uh, here. I have a little bit of a blurb here about our coming up guest. I'm going to read it like it's a teleprompter. I'm going to try to read this like it's an ad read because I don't get to do a lot of that. I don't <clears throat> not a lot of fiscal um, flow going through this program. That's not brought forth by myself. So this is Stephen Batani, the man that is just about to be interviewed. Stephen Batani is a professional chef and business owner driven by the pursuit of good business and the gregarious nature of cooking culture. He has always taken pride in providing the best product presentation and service as possible. He has many highlights in his career. Cooking for Her Majesty the Queen of England is one of many. Chef Batani aspires to be the best owner, chef, president, and employer he can be. However, he demands being the best dad and husband as his number one priority. Good man. In a career that has been fortified over the last 30 years, Chef has learned a lot from where he started at the age of seven beside his chef grandmother and through the culinary voyage that has allowed him to see the world through many kitchen windows. Although he has had great success abroad, he has never been happier than he is as a business owner and chef in the city he grew up in, and that in continues to inspire him. North Bay, on Jesus. North Bay, Ontario, Canada is where Chef Steve hones his skill and continues to create. He and his brother are the proud owners of the historic Chief Commander, more popular known as the Boat North Bay. Food Network Canada has rec recognized this labor of love project as one of Canada's top eight 
unique restaurants. Family and friends are most important to the Italian chef, whose primo food service highlighted in an international magazine as one of Canada's best pastas. The manufacturing giant, nationally, nationally recognized as, I'm going to say this wrong, Casa Ricia Al Franco. From award-winning dishes to fresh buttered popcorn from his catering company's food service division for the North Bay Battalion of the Ontario Hockey League, Chef believes anything worth creating is worth doing well, no matter what or who the audience. We are a team that feels like family. I am nothing without the team. We never strive for perfection. We strive for just right. Because no one is perfect, period. We under-promise and over-deliver. We make the day, and we own the night. Ladies and gentlemen, let's kick it over to the big man, the big dog, Chef Steven. Donnie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Here we have today another interview segment for episode number 29 of the astound program you hold dear to your heart, known as The Project. We have on today a little bit of a different direction, folks. I know um, I've had a lot of sports guests on, a lot of athletes, obviously. Um, a lot of people in my life are um, involved in that field, so it's very easy for me to get guests of that nature. But um, you know, I know we have, I have a deep and vast listenership here on this program, and I know I have um, culinary artists, restaurateurs, and, and likewise listening to a show of this sound. So I'm going to relate you to a little bit of an interview that's kind of, I guess... A different part of my life. Uh, I've touched on it multiple times in this uh, program in past episodes, but um, I've been deeply involved in the hospitality in- industry since I basically turned 18 years old. That's what I did in the summers for money. That's uh, basically that was, those were most of the jobs I held and had a lot of good times and a lot of good memories and another real team environment. I mean, anyone that's worked in restaurants knows exactly what I'm talking about. And um, I think this will be a good episode just for people that haven't you know, worked in restaurants as well, hear what it's like behind the back doors a little bit. And then it's also just, I mean, it's something we all love to do. We all love to go out and eat. It's something we all relate well to. So I thought there'd be no one better to come on and celebrate the sexiness of the industry we love and hold so dear than a man who was my boss for several years in multiple different positions and different businesses that uh, I was employed in in my time in the North Bay region. Beautiful Northern Ontario there in Canada, but I would like to take this time to welcome you to none other than the astound chef himself, restaurateur, entrepreneur, boss man himself, Steve Batani. Thank you so much, Steve. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Harrison. It's uh, No, it, it absolutely is. And um, you and I have been looking to make this episode happen for the last couple of weeks, and we are finally making it happen. So, I mean, welcome to the program. It's an absolute honor to have you. Um to get us started here, I just we're going to kind of take you through a little bit of your background as a chef, as a business owner, restaurateur, and basically how you got into the game. Um, basically, a little bit of your experience, your background, what you have to fall back on. And I mean, I worked under you for for a couple of years, and we had a lot of good times, and I learned a lot from you. And I mean, you you're a guy that's done it over the past you know three decades. Tons of shits changed through that. I mean, you're running a business through a pandemic. We got lots we can touch on, but. Uh, I mean, you and I have had numerous conversations over beers after work and stuff like that about how much we love this industry and why it's so hilarious and, and why so many people hold it dear. Let's just kind of get started with how you dove into the industry, how you fell in love with it, and, and why you're still involved with it today, I guess. 
Yeah, interesting enough. I mean, I think you can relate. Uh, I come from a big hockey family. My brother was a, uh, growing up, he was a high caliber touring hockey player. He's, you know, not like um, what they have now, but back then the term of endearment was triple A hockey player and travel a lot. And, you know, at, at some point in my life, I got too old and too big to, to want to be tagging along with the older brother and my parents to various tournaments and and escapades of the of the growing hockey player in Northern Ontario. So I, I chose to opt out and stay with my grandparents, who were great. And my my grandmother, ironically enough, was a, was a chef by trade. And uh, my grandfather, after he was a postman for decades, and after that he settled into being basically a uh, a bartender at the uh, Italian uh, Italian club here in North Bay Ontario. It's called the Davidi Club. And I just uh, tagged along, pulling her apron strings, and I fell in love with the art and the respect and and the uh, and the the true emotion around the food industry. And you know, uh, I was you know at seven years old, I was uh, rolling meatballs beside her, standing on a milk <laughs> crate, and you know, and and like any other kind of skill trade or even sport, you just you know practice makes perfect. And I've I caught the bug early and. You know, I, I did the normal stuff. I've always been a team team person, and I really enjoyed uh, sports growing up. I was a, I had a, a pretty good football career, and I attended university to play university football. And uh, because of some injuries, uh, that career was a little bit shortened. And I realized very, very, very early on in my university life that I was there taking the, the subject of football uh, rather than any uh, any of the curriculum that I was supposed to be doing. So. I realized that uh, I kept getting drawn back into, like you said earlier in, in, in your beginning there, uh, it wasn't just enough for me to do summer jobs in the culinary world. It was, I was, uh, I was always intrigued by the art of it all. And I started taking it a little more serious and I came back and, and went to culinary school after my, uh, after my football playing days were over. So um, yeah, that's the, that's the whole kind of, shortened version of how I got into the crazy game, but it's something I've never regretted. And it's something that's fulfilled my life uh, with, uh, with experiences that I don't think I would have ever gained going in any other direction. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and I appreciate every one of those. It's been a learning experience and um, you know, experience comes from experiences and um, I have my fair share of them and I appreciate every one of them. hundred percent. Um, so obviously you kind of just said how you, you know, you took, you're taking sports seriously and then you kind of fell back onto your culinary career there, but obviously taking interest from you, like you said, you know, seven years old, big Italian family. I'm sure there was just lots of cooking going on all the time. So, I mean, you're pretty involved with that from a young age, but at what age do you think it was when you're like, okay, like as what I see myself in the future, I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but what I will be doing is going to be in the restaurant industry. Was there an age where you can define when you made that choice? You think that that was what your future was going to tell? Well, I think it was more determined for me through circumstance, to be honest with you. I mean, I just gravi- gravitated towards those particular jobs. You know, I had a knack for it. I was good at it. And um, and I mean, it was just one of those things like, you know, that if you're a good salesperson, you gravitate to sales positions. If you're if you're an athletic person, you, you know, you're looking for positions that uh, you know, are athletically inclined. For me, it was more of the artistic and the, uh, the inventiveness and the traditionalist of, uh, of building recipes and, and, and preparing food and, and gaining that gratification from, you know, that customer's experience and their comments and et cetera, et cetera. And I think I started realizing that it was a career path, probably 
when I was 19, you know, 1920, um, I realized that if I looked at my pattern of, uh, of employment, it was always hospitality or, you know, hotel or, or restaurant based. And, and I always, like I said, I guess, I mean, being with, uh, growing up in a kitchen, uh, practically was, was one of those things that, uh, pointed me in that direction. Um, I was a journalist student, to be honest with you. And it was just, uh, I realized, uh, very quickly that although I, I still enjoy, um, these types of, um, you know, formats, like what you're, what we're doing today and, and speaking and writing and stuff like that. I think it just didn't feel the fire, like, uh, you know, working with food and within that industry as a whole. So yeah, I just jumped in both feet and guns a barrel when I was 19 and then, uh, uh, went on from there and, you know, every, every step has been, a again, a learning, a learning step and, um, um, you know, not a, not an easy road to be quite honest with you. Uh, the culinary world and the restaurant world is an unforgiving world. It's an ever changing world. So you got to be up with the times and you, uh, you know, you got to depend on a lot of people and, and a lot of, a lot of times in life, people let you down. So there's, there's major setbacks, but there's major advances and major rewards. So we've come this far. I'm no longer 19 and I'm, uh, you know, nearing, uh, the half a century mark and I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, um, still growing, still learning and still pursuing the, you know, the, uh, the, the good business that we, we try to practice every day. So I'm still rejuvenated and rejuvenated, uh, by the day. And it's, uh, again, it's been an exciting hundred percent. Um, I obviously wanted to have, I wanted you to come on, especially not just, I didn't want to have Steve come on and we're not going to have a conversation like, tell me about uh, what you do in the kitchen. Like it's not, I don't want it to be black and white. The thing I liked about Steve's story and I definitely wanted to have him on is that he got involved at such a young age, but then you, like at what point did you, like, I know you have run multiple restaurants. You've opened your own business multiple different times and, and run several successful different ones. But at what age did you dive in and make your first like restaurant venture on your own? Like I, at what age were you, I mean, you kind of broke free and started your own thing. I know you've had kind of multiple projects like that in the past. Like what, at what age were you starting to do that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, growing up, I mean, it, working in the, in the restaurant industry was, it was, was fun and exciting, but I got, uh, I got an opportunity very young. I was 16 years old uh, when entrepreneurism kind of kicked in and uh, we opened up a company that was completely out of the uh, hospitality industry called Seal Guard. And what it was, was um, a company that uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Darren Anderson and I teamed up and opened up an asphalt and interlocking brick resurfacing company. And, and the reason why that has affected me in my culinary and my hospitality journey was I got a taste of being like an independent operator very early in life. So you were I realized 16. being, you know, we're, I was 16 when I, That's when we opened that business, we ran it for we ran it together for almost six summers. So I was, I was cooking and, and running this company during the off seasons and uh, during high school and, and, and then in the university college years. And then Darren was a hockey player and uh, a very good one at that. He went to the university of Iowa on a scholarship him and his brother, and he uh, stayed stateside. I mean, very successful business uh, operator there. He owns uh, AccuBrick Paving Systems, and basically one of the forefathers of introducing interlocking stone to the to the state of South Carolina. So he's uh, done very well for himself. And um, but I mean, being a partner with him taught me a lot about you know partnerships and and you know the ways around businesses and um, 
you know, just registering your business, getting it set up with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the government and CRA and, and, um, uh, that kind of stuff just, it took a hold of me. And I realized that I know that there was going to be a long road to, to get to where I wanted to go to be independent in, in the industry, um, as far as owning a restaurant. And that's, that's, you know, those, those are significant strides and big money opportunities and it would take some time, but I was willing to put in the effort. And I think part of the reason why is because I had that opportunity to be self-sufficient. Uh, you know, that those paid for our university degrees and our college, our college degrees. And it, you know, it, we, we were in pretty nice vehicles for a 18, 19 year old, um, um, at an early age, uh, because of the the blood, sweat, and tears we put into that small company that that, that did a lot of work, and uh, so again, that whole time I realized, and Darren realized that uh, he wanted to, to to go to some uncharted territories, and I wanted to get back to what I thought was my passion in life was was the culinary world and and the restaurant world. So early on, I mean, I had significant positions early on. When I was twenty years old, I had my first director management position. Um, um, and then I was a sous chef with ha- the hotel franchise, Howard Johnson's. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a learning curve to be quite honest here. So I think you can relate when you, when you look at the team concept and you have a young guy that's really talented that comes in or a young person, a girl, a guy or otherwise on any team. And they're so talented or responsible. And they had those characteristics of leadership that they're made a captain or assistant captain very young in their, in their career their run with this particular team. And it's, it's an adjustment period. And I've been doing that, you know, my whole life. Uh, I've always been the younger guy on the, on the block and I've had to, you know, help mentor and coach people that were sometimes double my age. And uh, it's, that's been part of the, I guess the intoxication of it all is being able to be responsible at a young age for some people and, and their livelihoods and et cetera, et cetera. So that was the first big step was getting into management roles in uh, at a very young age to learn from some really cool mentors and, uh, you know, get taught, you know, even through my culinary experiences with Chef Danielle Esposito, who is a world-renowned chef, and, and, and Chef Andres Reiter, again, who was a Swiss chef that taught at the college here in, in, in North Bay. When I attended the culinary program, it was world-recognized, which was great, and... Um, so yeah, just uh, just some smart decisions and more or less decisions that were driven by passion that, that brought me to to uh, you know to the opportunities where business people would you know come to me and and, and open a restaurant and make me part uh, of the financial picture and you know uh, that was done at an early age at 23 I was already the executive chef and operations manager of a place uh, that held uh, 700 people and under the license liquor license act. And that was tough. It was tough. You know, when all of my friends are out partying, you know, they're usually uh, out partying at my place. And uh, when I say my place, it was the the restaurant bar and entertainment center called Cortina's at the time. And uh, that was an adjustment, you know, it was an adjustment for uh, my my family to realize that I, I was going 24-7. And, um, but it was, you know, teach their own. I mean, you can relate from being an athlete that you march to a different drum if you want to get to that end goal. Um, you've got to be the guy that's always saying, sorry, I might not be able to make it or, you know, Hey, Steve's not around or Harrison's not here today. Where all, you know, they're tied up with their, with their sport or their work. Uh, so yeah, Cortina's was the first big, big one that I had taken over. And, uh, that was in North Bay, right? Cortina's. Yeah. That was in North Bay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Before that, I, again, the journeyman kind of opportunities I was, you know, I did the out West, uh, learning, uh, and honing my skills. And, you know, I did the trip to Europe and, um, uh, I spent lots of time in the GTA and, and I should regress back to when I was in the GTA, my grandfather, who I, you know, you know, more of a friend at this time than my grandparent, he took very ill and, uh, God bless him. He made it to into his nineties, into his uh, early nineties and very strong man. And I came home and I, and he could tell I was a little out of sorts and he, and I just, he said, you know, what do you, how's work? And, and I was you were working at a place called Centro's in, in Italy. It was a top three Italian restaurants in Toronto at the time. And he said, um, you know, um, I said, you got any advice, Gramps? And he said, uh, and he said, you know what? Says I was done giving you advice years ago, but if I give you one more piece of conversation, it's think about being, would you rather be a king among strangers or a prince amongst the ones that love you? And then shortly after he passed away and I realized what he meant and that, uh, I know at that time I decided nothing makes me more happier than this industry than doing stuff for my family and Mm -hmm. being at home. And I thought I was going to go against the grain. And that's when I decided to make the move. I I shifted out of the big marketplaces. I had a, Hey, don't get me wrong, Harrison. I had a great ride in the bigger cities. It was a blast. And all the, all the folklore you hear about the industry, it's, it's not, it's not embellished or or over-exaggerated. It's exactly what people think it is. And it was a great run. Uh, But I came back to North Bay and Cortina's is where I I jumped in right away. And uh, we were a leader in a, in a marketplace that was, uh, you know, the intersection from Southern Ontario to Northern Ontario a lot of traffic flow. And then from then on other projects, and I spent uh, almost 14 years at the university, um, in a rural, in a, you know, in a national recognized pub, uh, for the student body, um, in the community of Nipissing University, Canada college. It's called the wall. I'm sure there's a lot of people. Right, be that, the wall, uh, babe. God, love you the know, wall. that, uh, experienced the wall. And, uh, that was an insane. I only got one year of that place, but fuck, it was nasty. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was it was worth every bit of its of yeah. its height. Drake Axe played there too. You guys got like, who, didn't Drake play there or something once? Uh, when he was younger, before Drake was actually Drake. I mean, we've had some. We've had Simple Plan. I remember um, Our Lady Peace was there. We did. Um, oh, Billy Talent was there a few times. I mean, some of these great Canadian acts. That Stevie Oki was there, wasn't he? It was. Steve Aoki was there. Steve Aoki, I actually attribute that concert uh, because, and that brings me to like exactly the, the university was when I started taking on the opportunity. Well, it started with Cortina's um, getting, you know, basically f- from just a culinary perspective, gaining the actual operational side experience and the bottom-running yeah. experience. And, you know, and, and now I, I, I can't honestly see myself getting into a project where I don't control the liquor license, the service of the liquor license and, or the culinary perspective of the, the food services. I mean, I'm, I'm the last three major projects I've, I've done it all. And I think that's one thing that I, I think that separates uh, my career is, is being able to be, you know, somebody who can do the culinary side as a, as a red seal chef and, and, um, and run some significant, you know, projects, not, 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 sorry, not, not to mention the, uh, the example of the North Bay Memorial Gardens of a license uh, capacity of over 5,000 for the North Bay Battalion of the Ontario Hockey League. So, 
yeah, uh, the wall was insane, and uh, some great acts came through there from you know from Buffy Saint Marie to, um, I mean some some Canadian John Sex with Sue. <laughs> so, I don't know if you remember Sex with Sue Johansson. She was a she was a beauty, and uh, she just packed the place. And I'm talking 600 people sitting down to eat, and it was really? insane, insane. Oh yeah, this place to reiterate was, uh, this, these uh, concerts uh, are being hosted yeah. at an establishment that you were running at the time. Yeah, I just want Absolutely. to make sure that people understand yeah. that, like you know. So you were, that's why I just think you have a hilarious story. You, you had that Cortina's place you worked at, then you worked at an unbelievable school pub for 14 year run. Um, that, like you said, nationally ranked at points. Um, then you have the boat that's still in operation today. Unbelievable seasonal spot, lakeside. One of my former, I place, I tenured for a couple of years, unbelievable spot. You also have the restaurant and food and beverage service for the entire Memorial Gardens, the home of the OHL's. North Bay Battalion and the OUA's Nipissing Lakers. Don't forget about that. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you mean, am I missing anything else there? Well, we have the catering company yeah. as well. The catering company is it's it's. Uh, we also own a food truck called the food truck uh, the food truck North Bay. Very simple name. You get the pattern, the boat, the food truck, um, except etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, we try to keep it simple, and then we have the catering company. Uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, we've got multiple projects, but I have a really, 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 um, you were part of that team. You understand what the team concept means to me. I'm only one person. I mean, um, uh, I, I don't have an ego. I'm nobody without the team. I'm, uh, and that's my football, soccer, hockey kind of tutelage growing up. I, I realized that, you know, very early in life that you could be, Wayne Gretzky wouldn't be Wayne Gretzky without the Mark Messier's, the Eric Curry's, Glenn Anderson's, the list goes on, you know, the Grant Fears, the Andy Moog's. Um, it's just, just the way it is. I mean, greatness needs to, to have a complement of, of great people around them. And I'm no exception. I've had the, the luck and, you know, to toot my own horn, the ability to find some really, really great people to, to jump on the team, uh, you know, the Mike Farveresos is the Scott Colburns, uh, my brother, Peter, who was a, who was a big part of our life that you know of. And I mean, I mean, my, even, even my wife, my wife's a great team player. She's, uh, she was in the hospitality field for, uh, for a better part of her life. And, um, funny story. I had to, uh, I mean, the old, the old analogy, don't, don't put your, your rhymes with, uh, wink in company Inc um i've lived and died by that credo i uh, just um but so i had to fire my wife so that i could formally ask her out on a date <laughs> and, uh, she she accepted and uh that's another story but it, it's been it's been crazy and you're right it's um the team has been a, a huge component of it all and um all projects the boat is just a labor of love it was a decrepit boat that's been in operation for over 20 years it's marooned on the beautiful shores of lake nipissing it was known as a you know just a bar crazy bar night doing dollar beers and just insanity happening there with no rhyme to reason and we just went there with a you know the owner of the actual vessel approached me years ago uh, when i was at the university to see if we'd be interested in looking at it and then uh, when i decided that there was a big shift in the in the footprint at the university where the student unions were splitting up um, and going their separate ways. We worked for both student unions. It's a very unique situation with the college being and the university um, sharing a campus. And then the the university and the college 
student union were in partnership in their own mm-hmm. corporation. So it's, uh, be it as it may, politics as usual would kicked in after a, a really good run. Um, and unfortunately, I think the wall fell by the wayside. And unfortunately, that that whole unbelievable reputation for greatness, like you said, in that business. Uh, I mean, we were revered. That place was revered both in the McLean's magazines. Like the best accolades for Nipissing University or Canada College came from its student pub. It's the highest ranking affiliate that mm-hmm. they've ever had. Um, and I mean, and not to say that it's a quality education. Um, they're both, they both offer quality education. But I mean, when you're going up against the UFTs and the University of Calgary's or the McGill's of the world, um, the university's pub uh, always seemed to be able to go up against these big guys and, and kick their asses. And uh, it's very, I was very proud of that. Uh, you know, Chad Buda Cardinal was a huge programmer. Um, he was a, you know, bigger, larger than life kind of guy and did an outstanding job bringing in those massive acts that you would never catch. We were getting bigger acts than the, the schools in Barrie and the schools in Sudbury. And those are double, sometimes triple the population. But they knew that they would be treated right, and uh, and uh, and with Buddha's work and how our team serviced these guests, they always circled the North Bay on the map, and, and you know put Nipissing and Canada on the map through the entertainment perspective. So yeah, we got down to the boat, Harrison. Like you said, uh, we're we're going into our eighth season, and we've uh, in a in a very short window. Uh, the boat has been honored and recognized by, you know, a numerous travel magazines. And one of the big ones was the Food Network identified uh, the boat as one of the most top eight unique spots in the country, which I thought was a really cool, um, cool accolade to, to be able to talk about. And it just embodies the spirit of not just the food service and the, I, the uniqueness of our service and, and some of our dishes, but uh, the actual geogra- the geography, the, again, the footprint, and then the entertainment side, it honored both. And uh, that, to me, is a kind of a, a coming together of both my passions now. My, I'm equally as fired up as a very successful event on the entertainment side and the bar side as I do with, with completing a uh, major catering or, or uh, even a you know, great themed weekend through food services. Absolutely. And I mean, that one thing too, I mean, you actually are kind of a pretty good marketer too. I've seen you put on, you know, multiple events, you know, many bar nights and done many weddings with you and and, and whatnot. One thing I think it's another reason I had to have you on too, is you really have that, um, like you just kind of said it right there. You have that cross dimension ability. Like you, you do entertainment, you do in catering, you have, um, food trucks, you fucking basically have every style of service that you can have uh, is under this one wing of your company. And I think it's pretty fucking sweet. And I don't think many people doing it like yeah. that. No. And I think what we try to do, it, we were a smaller marketplace too. So if you really want to get somewhere, it's, it's difficult being in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Northern Ontario. And, and I mean, the city's only 50,000 strong and amidst COVID it's probably just a little shy of that. And we were less the 20,000 students from the university. So yeah, it's it's almost that like you got to put your finger in a, a, a you know in a couple more pots of water to 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 check the temperature and jump right in because it's uh, being one dimensional um, and being seasonal forces us to do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I had a seven hundred capacity 
club and a 400 person seated restaurant that was open 12 months a year, you know, seven days a week, I would doubt that we would have so many projects on the go or my team would be bigger and I probably would be divorced. So um, sometimes the element and the, you know, again, I like the word footprint, the footprint down at the water forces us to think outside the box and, now we've grown to the, it's, it's the actual reputation of the company. Now we're expected to, to push the bar, push the window and bring a little bit more of the big city attributes to, uh, to the small town. And, and I mean, it's not with, with keeping the traditions of the small town at heart, you know, we, we're not, we don't want to be pretentious. We we're here for a reason. We adore the small market here and uh, we're just North enough to be perfect as far as I'm concerned. So and COVID really taught us like, you know, COVID, we were in the green zone um, and the amount of people that traveled north um, or west, if you will, um, and why well, all directions coming from every part of the province to share with uh, what North Bay had to offer. I mean, we were basically giants doing GTA numbers. And uh, and I know because I, I know what the GTA numbers can be like because I spent a lot of time there. So uh, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy. So yeah, speak on, obviously COVID changed your whole fucking business pretty crazy. And this past year was the first year I hadn't worked there in three years. And I mean, you guys had a wild summer. Like what was, um, the boat doesn't usually open till May 15th. So the pandemic was in full fucking swing. What was it like? Like just speak on that, touch on that like government like the, what's the relationship been like as a small business owner with the government through a pandemic like this? Like, how has it been? Like, who do you talk to? Are they getting in touch with you in person first? Or like, how does this even work? Like, how does this process happen? No, for the most part, I think you're, you're just like any other company. You're, you're, you're waiting in the wings for decisions to be made. That's going to affect you. And I don't think the restaurant industry is getting treated any, any, um, as far as the information highway, any quicker than anyone else. Um, it was difficult. It was difficult, especially with the boat project. I mean, we've been affected through catering. We we had 17 weddings and probably, uh, I would say, at least 25 major functions planned for last summer. And we lost uh, 90% of them. Some of them downsized and came to the property because we were one of the only properties that, you know, in, in all of Ontario that can hold in excess of almost 300 people seated, being socially distanced mm-hmm. and being safe. So I remember having a Zoom call with the staff and the team from that particular project and the boat staff got on a, on a uh, Zoom call in, in probably early April. And then I just had this intuition saying it only made sense to me that the only thing that would open and the quickest thing that would open would be open aired patios and service spots. And that played right into our wheelhouse. I mean, I knew at that point we're going to have, we had to have our ducks in a row. So we launched a touchless menu, which was, you know, we thought out of the gate was, was, was amazing. Um, And uh, very, uh, you know, out there thinking about keeping people safe. And, and it was one of the first that we've seen, um, be it anywhere in Ontario, uh, because we were, again, everybody was in lockdown and uh, then patios opened up and it was, uh, Patios in the north opened up before anywhere because we were still in the green zone. There's a, there's a significant amount of patios, but uh, but with the government, what they were doing was through municipal and or provincial legislation, they were allowing 
people just to put up, you know, uh, non-permanent structures for patio. So everybody jumped on the patio thing, but we're known for patio business. I mean, our patio holds again for entertainment purposes, just under a thousand people, but for seated, we, uh, during non COVID times, we seat about 450, um, uh, 450 people. But during COVID we, we had to bring that down. So we were, we were down just a shy of 300. And that's with, again, um, and we put seven and a half feet between the tables um, because we have the luxury of that space. So it was, uh, yeah, as far as the response to the government, I, I mean, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I was disappointed because of the, of the uh, not enough, not enough information. There's not one spot to go to get information that's specifically geared to what's, what we do. And, and, and this was, I mean, it has gotten better, mind you. Going into this season, I think we'll be a lot more prepared and informed. But this was like, I mean, and I get it. Uh, it was a challenge. They were learning. No one's been through a pandemic before at this on this scale that I remember. And, uh, you know, SARS, we, we went through SARS, went through West Nile. We went through the E. coli. We went through fire, uh, like the big smoke uh, issues uh, a couple seasons ago with the Northern Ontario fires. And so we've, we've had to jump some hurdles, but nothing like this. And and I think the government, I, I don't want to give them a free pass, but I do because what they've done with their subsidies and their, you know, their, uh, I guess their financial contributions or leniency, I would say, has probably helped a lot of people stay in business. And uh, with the uncertainties, without that type of support, I don't think we would have made it. And we have a pretty significant and healthy, you know, um, visit, um, uh, visitors to the property. So we, we do very well when it comes to, to visiting, but I, and I, you know, uh, the tourist season was decimated. No one was going everywhere, anywhere. So we had to depend a lot on, on the community, which came and support us, uh, in spades, but we did see a significant amount of traveling once the restrictions, uh, got up and a little bit less so people could move around. There was a lot of people from out of town visiting the property and, and uh, yeah, but as far as the government's response, I just found like we found out on a Tuesday that we had to have everything ready and up and going on Friday without any, you know, you know, uh, head start or, or, and that's a lot, especially when we have to bear the responsibility of keeping people safe by mm-hmm. the masses. And um Again, some people will say, well, you know, screw yourself, Steve, because uh, you and your team, uh, hey, if you want to open up and have two, 300 people in your building, that's your own fault during the pandemic. Yeah, and I get that. I get that mentality. But at the same time, it would have been good to have a, I mean, you think March to June, there could have been a plan that was uh, introduced to us way on the onset of how to prepare to be opened when we really didn't know until three days before what we had to do. I mean, we just common sensely. We uh, upgraded our dishwashing systems. We brought in PPE ready for staff. We put in signs. We just did stuff that, you know, we thought, you know, and the good thing about being in the restaurant business is that you're always looked upon as an industry that has to be safer than a lot of other industry. You know, we're, you know, protecting our customers and staff from foodborne illnesses. And so we're kind of used to it. Uh, So the transition to that wasn't really crazy. It was just the lack of time to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, it's a wild year. Like, um, <clears throat> has there been any communication about, I mean, it's only March here, but 
what it's going to look like. Because, uh, I mean, the OHL has basically been canceled. So you've been fucked on that. Um, but, like, are they talking to you anything about the summer months? I mean, you guys were in lockdown. And, like, I, I just can't get over the cage. They're keeping everyone in Canada. It's absolutely absurd. But is there any talk on, I mean, you guys are now in, the, what is it, the red, you're called? The red zone is now not locked down? Yeah, you know what? It was so funny. It was ironic that we were doing so well as a community in North Bay. We were probably the lowest almost in the country or one of uh, one of a very small window of how successful we have maintained uh, the COVID experience in North Bay. I know that we were in the top two percentiles in, in all of Ontario. That's for certain. Um, for the longest time, up to about a month ago. And then... For whatever particular reason, um, all of a sudden, a couple of variants, uh, the variant uh, COVID started showing up in North Bay and that strain and that put our health unit into a predicament where, you know, in a, in a, in a and we're an aging community here as well. So I under kind of understand where this was going, but we got thrown right into, right into lockdown, like GTA style, shut it down. Like we were on the national news with Toronto, it was Toronto Peel and North Bay. And, uh, I mean, there was, it was a bone of contention for a lot of companies in North Bay and a lot of people. Um, but I mean, it's a catch 22. I don't think I have an opinion either way. I, I think, you know, my business has been affected and I understand it, but I also have a 77 year old mom and an 80 year old dad. And I, uh, it, if I have to, you know, pinch my pennies and, and cancel a couple trips for a little while or, you know, and, or, you know, you know, lose some of my social life and keep my business closed to keep them around longer so they can appreciate and, and, and have some time spent with their grandson. I think that's, uh, for me personally, and again, this is my own opinion. My brother and I said, uh, the hell with it, you know, family first Harrison. I've, and I think I've taught mm-hmm. you that. Um, and when I say family, like, you know, my family is my work as well. I spend more time practically with my work, uh, work relationships than I do at home. So, um, it's hard. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think, uh, we're doing the right thing by trying to get this done. Let's get the vaccines going so people can come back out and we can have people, you know, you know, coming for drinks and partying the night away and meeting their, you know, meeting their next boyfriend, girlfriend and forging relationships with good buddies and celebrating, you know, milestones and birthdays and anniversaries and stag and does and let's just get back to some yeah, sense of normalcy and, and i'm all for it but as long as we're doing it in the i always i agree i just find like do you not think well for like the time being is they're not like i i agree with what the lockdown is trying to accomplish and keeping you know certain groups of people safe and whatnot but like can we not go back to somewhat of a normality without keeping the people that are at risk the people that could be compromised the people that might get covid and actually get sick can we not keep them locked up like not locked up <laughs> locked like can we not still protect them <laughs> but like let 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 like i don't know i and i'm just saying because like i just had covid and it didn't do a fucking thing to me and i know that it's that's not the case with everyone that's young and stuff but is there not a way that we can protect the people that are at risk with while like releasing like like re, what's the word i'm trying to say like reintroducing like some normality to the rest of the population I think it's a, I think it's a, a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. And I understand the frustrations of being, I couldn't only imagine being 18, 19, right up to the, maybe even 30 and still, you know, trying to piece your life together and, and start, you know, you're living vicariously through, you know, episodes and, and bars and restaurants and that kind of culture and the movie theater and 
I get it. I get it a hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm a little older than, than that demographic, but I still evolve in, in that mindset through business. And I understand how hard it would be. I mean, but at the same time, I do, I do think that it's the vaccine. Uh, the vaccine's the key and the vaccine's the key to the successful, the success of the, of the, uh, the restaurant hospitality industry as a whole. I think that the, the quicker and sooner that this vaccine rolls out and everybody, like you said, uh, once those people that could be put in harm's way are vaccinated and protected, then yeah, I, I do believe you'll see the, the, the rains come down mm-hmm. a little bit and we'll start as far as getting back to what you said, normalcy. Well, I don't think we'll ever see normalcy again. Not the way we we have enjoyed it for the past, you know, you know, as far as my concern since I was mm-hmm. a teenager. I think that that those days of innocence are gone. I think that we will always masks will be in part of our undoubted future. I think the words PPE and 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 uh, social distancing will be a, a common reoccurrence as we move through life from now on and uh I think it's just like anything else. It's 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 getting used to the idea. Like I remember years ago when you had to walk up to a girl in a bar, put on your best sexy outfit, and uh, you know look your best, get the moose run through the hair, and back there was there the dippity do. Um, dating myself, but you had to get the dippity do on and get some liquid courage and actually literally walk up to somebody in a bar and and introduce yourself and have a conversation. Now it's like social media. Like there was no plenty of fish. It's crazy to think, you know, you had to talk to girls with your mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And it was crazy. uh, And, and they, and they, and they could see right through. I mean, there's pros and cons because I know there's a lot of probably relationships that didn't come to fruition because the guy dropped the ball because he was so nervous and being able to maybe text something in his thoughts or his feelings in another manner would have probably been helpful. Uh, but that was the, that was the nature of the beast, man. That was the game. And I think that, uh, you know, we saw life turn to a social media platform and, uh, some of us older, older folk, or we'll even say more experienced folk in life had to, had to take a step back and learn again. So I think this is just going to be the same thing where it's, it's a year we'll never forget, probably two years. And it will be something that will, will leave in a doubted mark that, uh, things will have changed and they will stay changed. Uh, but I mean, we've been through this before and maybe not with a, uh, like I said, with the advancement of social media, we all had to retool, rethink and, and reinvent ourselves through business. I mean, no one's taking out newspaper, newspaper ads anymore. It's social media, it's, it's, it's podcasts, it's radio, it's, it's getting your word out in a, in a digital marketing campaign. So we're used to it from a restaurant industry. So I don't think this is going to, you know, it, it, it'll take some time, but I really do think. The restaurant and hospitality industry is such a cool, unique conglomerate of, of characters, people's personas, their artists, their passions, their drug users, their alcoholics, their their normal people, their their you know their fantastic people, and and they'll always come together. And I think they'll, they'll come see all walks of life in that industry. That's what... yeah, and they'll they'll and they'll always attract that person that wants to come out and have some social activities i don't i think the bars are gonna bars and restaurants are gonna come back i think so too and i and i hope so i think a lot of people are gonna maybe be in a way it's definitely made me like not i'm not gonna be taking it for granted i'm a huge uh restaurant goer but fuck like this i mean i mean last year like where i was at in ontario like there was there was restaurants open and, and it was a social distance capacity and whatnot but 
It was not the same. No, and I think everybody's starving to get back to that. And I think, uh, I mean, let, don't get me wrong. I think COVID's done some things that are positive for the industry. I mean, it, it, I mean, I've seen a lot, and you and I have had these conversations after a uh, four o'clock in the morning closure of the of a bar night, many or, of those late night, or one of, one of our entertainment nights. And I've expressed, you know, like it, it's disheartening sometimes to see. I mean, through the Food Network and you know Gordon Ramsay's of the world and, and people like uh, that have glorified uh, the industry in a positive way. They they're just talented people that that people want to see more of. But then it, it's it's spurred off this kind of this revolution of everybody and their dog thinks they can get into the restaurant mm-hmm. and the bar business, and it really it really I found has saturated. Um, I would say the the purity of it all. And I think now that that people have seen COVID come in and decimate this industry, the strong will survive. The ones that were in it for the, the you know for the right reasons, and the ones that have done good business and have planned smartly for uh, for their future, will mm-hmm. we'll get through this. And uh, but this will now, I think, will you know, not everybody with money is going to want to think it's well, going to open I, a restaurant because they've seen a lot of people think the restaurant industry is one of those like field of dreams analogies, like build it and they will come. Like that ain't fucking you can't throw the yeah. old on and just have sales. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of people do it and they're successful for about a year or two and then that just fizzles into into something that just opened up. I mean, I remember coming through the industry and I remember being in, in, in Toronto and London and and seeing these big groups open up these massive clubs and they would run in for two years, you know, take the payload and then they, they would, you know, disappear into the night and I mean, that's never been, I've never been a fan of that mentality. Um, I like, I like the lifers. I mean, I like the people that put in the time and the end game is retirement. The end game is to have, uh, you know, I've always told my staff and people I've worked with that if you strive for anything, somebody's asked me on multiple interviews, what is your end game? What is the end goal? What do you want to be remembered by? And I said, you know what? I want to be missed. And I've always said that. I said, you know what, if, if whatever you're working on, or whatever you're doing, whoever you're working for, that company, industry, you know, wherever, it doesn't matter what field you're in. My only advice is strive to mm-hmm. be missed. And if I can, and if, if you can strive to be missed and achieve being missed by the ones that you've left behind, then I think you've done what you needed to do to be successful in this industry. Like I, I, again, no ego, the ego's checked on the door, at the door with me. But I know that if the boat went by the wayside, uh, just that project alone, um, we, we decided to close it down. It would be significantly missed. In oh, Atlanta. fuck yeah. And, um, I know the same with the North Bay Battalion. I know that the North Bay Battalion, if, if, if we were not controlling the food and beverage, I am totally confident that the North Bay Battalion has the best team, um, in Northern Ontario, or even Ontario driving their food and beverage, uh, and, and security services division. Um, because we have to do a lot more than what the typical marketplaces like London, Kingston, Kitchener uh, have to do because we're in a smaller marketplace and we have to work uh, that much harder to, to keep people engaged and we can't get the price points. I mean, you can't charge $9 for a Coors Light. You know, the same liquid, same can that we, we charge $7.25 for is nine seventy five dollars south, uh, south of North Bay. Um, and we're all getting to charge the same price at manufacturing rates. So it, it, you can see what I mean. It's, it's difficult, but again, if you do it right, you'll be missed. And I think, again, that's what we strive for. And that's exactly what I try to impress 
upon any of my teammates. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's, I like that. I like that. I'm going to remember that. Um, but no fear. You will be enjoying the dancing on a speaker. I think, uh, you know, with a security guard coming up to you and asking legendary Harry to put a shirt back on soon enough in the, uh, I think again, uh, the bar and restaurant, uh, we're resilient people. We're gregarious by nature. Uh, one of our sayings is we make the day and we own the night. And I don't think this pandemic is going to shake us to the core here. It's going to shake us. But it ain't gonna break <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> before we talk about um, another little project you and I might be working on, uh, just ha- has anyone asked about uh, the boat not having open mic nights anymore? There's probably a lot of people pretty upset about that last summer. There's a dire <laughs> miss of that. Well, I think they, they're more concerned about the quality of the host. I mean, uh, I mean, I think you can relate. The The host was kind of weak. and uh, The host was kind of a fly by the uh, seat of his pants some, kind of guy. We made drastic improvements. Uh, no, you are, uh, you were a very important role, uh, role player in our company. We, uh, we, we, we can see, we do miss you, Harrison. I think you've, uh, you've, you've done what I've asked you to do. You strive to be missed and you've achieved that with our, within our company. And I, congratulations on this pod, this project. I think it's awesome in your hockey career and, and uh, whatever you choose to do in life, you're one of those individuals that we know that will, will go on to be successful, be it in any uh, any form or fashion in whatever direction. You well, I hope so. I'm going to have to – now I have to live up to that now that you said that. So that's a little bit of pressure. Um, but do you want to take the reins here? How do you want to explain here? We got a little bit of a news here. We've already been on for 48 minutes, Steve. We've had a pretty good little interview here. But that's why I think we should quickly yeah. toss it over to <clears throat> what might be going on from here on forth. Well, it's like you said, like, I mean, the, the restaurant industry, the bar industry, the entertainment industry as a whole, it's always changing. It's always exciting. That's why I love it. And that's why I, I think it's grabbed me by the nuts and it's never really let me go. Um, and I'm not a glutton for punishment, but um, I, I truly, truly, truly am a, you know, um, a creature of habit with, with, in within this industry, I, I can't see myself ever turning around and doing anything else and, and God willing, I won't have to, but I think it's, it's great because we, we get new projects, new, new opportunities and, and exciting things. And yeah, you know, we have a group of, of people that asked us to, to, you know, maybe make this a regular occurrence, you know, uh, podcasts are becoming very, very popular and people want to know about the industry. And, you know, we have some vast, vast, experiences that stretch you know nationally internationally and we might be situated in little old north bay but you know our our reach has gone a lot further through our through our you know our i guess our our community travel with through the community of the hospitality industry so we've uh yeah we've been asked by a few people to to come up with an idea and uh we have something on the on the on the in the infancy program i guess or the infancy stages Hosp Nation is going to be something that takes the hospitality and restaurant business by storm. And we're not going to get into what it is. We'll wait. We'll wait. We don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but stay tuned, folks. That's another major project that we're working towards, uh, which will help uh, the whole hospitality industry as a whole. And one of those uh, introductory kind of opportunities that will come from Hosp Nation is, is, uh, is a podcast. And that's where you were, you know, you were asked to participate and I was asked to participate and, uh, you know, AJ, the entertainer AJ, the DJ. has been asked to, to win AJ, the, uh, AJ DJ Hollywood, Hollywood, 
Jakeman, uh, who has a vast experience through travel. He's actually the travel junkie. You can yeah, check he's a his, blogger. Uh, his, his YouTube channel. Yeah, he's a blogger with some significant uh, notoriety. He's also um, the producer and day um, day producer of the Ontario Hockey League's North Bay Battalion's game day operations from a technical standpoint. Um, he's also owner operator of the food truck, part of our group. Um, so he's got that culinary background and that uh, food service background. And he's you know I mean he's just a, another guy that's been around uh, and doing his thing a long time. And one but again one of the things he started on as a as a DJ and. I mean, back in the rave days, he was the he was one of the biggest guys at holding raves and, and producing raves and 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 being the uh, you know the promoter on stuff like this. Like he's always been around the big things. Like he's worked with significant artists. So, long story short, uh, chit talk, chit talk, baby. So, chit talk, and everybody knows the chit machine. Uh, I think with many of a cook and probably many of a bartender and servers, uh, they can hear that machine going off in their head and. I myself have woken up in complete dripping sweat uh, from every orifice, uh, having that chip machine haunt me at some point in my career. I think a lot of people can relate. So uh, the, the podcast is called Chit Talk with a legendary <laughs> Harry, um, AJ the Entertainer, and myself, Chef Steve Batani. Uh, we look uh, forward to you know podcasting uh, through your through your device and hopefully you'll uh, give us a listen. We have some extremely, extremely excellent guests from singer songwriters to some very large, uh, you know, industry moguls that we've, uh, we've gotten to meet and forge relationships through our journey and, and some local flair, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to, you know, this isn't just going to be a podcast that, you know, we only talk to people with some sort of notoriety on a, on a national or international scale. Uh, we will talk to local entrepreneurs and people with some great ideas and from a smaller marketplace. We are Northern Ontario and uh, well, we can celebrate, you know, Northern Ontario, Ontario, Canada, all the other provinces. I think our reach will reach uh, uh, every, every corner of the globe at some point. And I think we have a lot to say. And I think there's a lot of people that want to check out and let, let <laughs> chit yeah. for, uh, for a few minutes. In their it'll be good. Day. I think it'll be good. Um, hospitality industry, restaurant industry, whatever you want to call it. There's uh, lots to go off of there. And like you said, <clears throat> you're in touch with many uh, good guests. Um, lots to go off there, but that's, uh, that's going to be a, pr- a project I'm going to start working on with Steve and AJ here. Uh, apart from the project, the project will still roll on strong, but, uh, look for that might be something that's coming out very soon. So, I mean, why not at this point? Why not? If I can put a link in front of my yap, yeah, I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, we look forward to, to seeing your big mouth a little bit more. Often, yeah. So sure. I don't know the format. We haven't got it up on, uh, you know, certain platforms yet, but it will be made available on multiple platforms. And we're thinking about making a video component, meaning a little bit of a YouTube channel. For some reason, people like to watch people talk. I don't really get it. I don't really get it doesn't really get me off that's for sure but it gets some people off so that's we're probably gonna have a youtube channel too so it's pretty sweet well i think we should look at you're a beauty so Ah, that's why i said like we're doing this interview right now like we have video going and i never do that and like i like to think i'm more of a face for radio guy like when you can just talk it's a little better but when you have to see yourself yap too that's kind of (laughs) i'm definitely a face for radio uh however 
Uh, I've been doing a lot and, and thanks for asking about that earlier, uh, the other projects, but we've been since COVID, I've been, you know, and my poor wife, she, uh, she's a educator. She teaches at one of the local high schools. She, uh, we are getting ready for my son's 11th birthday and uh, we have ceramic tile throughout the house and it, it's like a skating rink when you, when you clean it and, and wash it. And I, uh, it was remiss of me not to mention that I actually did an area when she wasn't looking. <laughs> And I didn't tell her I was at that level of the home and she came out flying out of the dining room and there's a little step down and she slipped and shattered her ankle. It was beyond, it was beyond gross. And, uh, she's been up and laid up for, uh, six weeks. Uh, I think we're in her fourth or fifth week and she can't, uh, not allowed to put any weight. Any long story. I've been, I've been at home and with, with the lack of having to go into, uh, do some work. I've been trying to just hone my skills, keep, uh, so I've been cooking a lot at home. So then somebody asked me to start posting this stuff and born was the chef at home. Uh, so chef at home series is on my Facebook page. I mean, I'll, t- you know, anybody that wants to join and personal message or private message me for recipes and some directions, feel free, but that's chef at home. And it's on uh, Steve Batani on Facebook. I was a picture of my little guy, D'Onofrio with his checkered, uh, Northern Ontario famous checkered hat. <laughs> And you identify me there and it's chefing Steve at Instagram, um, which I'm posting a lot of pictures and videos and we're actually going live. We did it for the school board. Uh, we did a cooking with your kids and my son D'Onofrio and I did a step-by-step process for how to make pizza and chicken parmigiano. Um, went over very well. Uh, we had a ton of people tune in for that. So we are going live this weekend. Um, I'm not sure what the actual date is. It's this Sunday um, coming. So I think it's March. I'm not sure. I have to look. Uh, but we will be going live and we'll be making pasta from scratch. And and uh, going back to my roots, like we alluded earlier, uh, Harrison, uh, way back to my grandmother days, um, I'll be making meatballs, uh, traditional Italian meatballs and pasta meatballs. We're going to do it simple. But what a wonderful Sunday for Sundays uh, tradition is. Sunday's usually an Italian meal around our household, and uh, it's a it's one day that we truly try to make a family day. And a little difficult when the OHL plays on Sundays, and in the summertime, the Sundays are a really busy day down at the water um, at the boat. But right now we have the opportunity, so we're rolling with it. So yeah, check it out Sunday for Sundays, and this Sunday we'll be uh, live. Check out the Facebook page for uh, information. It's going to be a Zoom application, but we'll have. Uh, you know, uh, cameras set up and we're going to just have some fun with it and great way to kill some time and learn how to make some real pasta, not out of a package and, uh, some meatballs from scratch. And Absolutely. So just so you are aware his Instagram is chefing underscore it, Steve. That's what it is under chefing underscore it, Steve. So you want to find him on Instagram. You got an array of gorgeous recipes being displayed on his Instagram page. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, lo- I think that was Steve. We had a good interview, and I mean, I think we're almost at an hour here. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I mean, people are going to get an opportunity to hear you and I talk a lot more in the future. So, you know what? I just uh, just to attend it all. I mean, we're seasonal, so we're kind of used to being down, and and just we're starting to get geared up. But, folks, if you're listening, I know you've heard it a million times, but I can't stress enough how important it is to the industry right now to support as much as you can local. Um, you know, I mean, on our on our Facebook page, we're saying, you know, get into your kitchens, cook some food. But when you can't or you need a break, reach out to your local restaurants and, and food service uh, 
operations to, you know, order in uh, some quality food from your operators there. It's the only thing they got to do to, to generate some income and, and keep their businesses. Cause you're going to need these businesses uh, when we come back out of COVID. So um, again, uh, COVID will not break the spirit of this industry. And I can uh, honestly say it's been in, in just in North Bay and I, I'm seeing in Ontario, a lot of support for, for take in and take out and, you, you know, it's, it's so funny that COVID a eh, Harrison, we were talking about this earlier before it's takeout and uh, takeout and delivery will, and you know, the skip the dishes of the world is just, again, something new, something that's come out to the forefront of, 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 uh, of conversation and everyday operations. Now it's something that was a nicety before or an added, uh, just an added attraction. Now it's something that is people are clinging on for their existence. So do what you can support local, um, you know, if you're going to spend your money on, uh, on something, it'd be great to, you know, support that local business down the 100%. road. 100%. Got to do it. You got to keep them alive. All right. Well, Steve, it's an honor having you on talking about, uh, an array of different topics, but, um, people will have the opportunity to hear you and I converse more frequently very soon. Yeah. I think the follow-up you want to do is just some like the good, the bad, the ugly of the industry. And that, that would be a more fun one where we get into some of the things we've seen or I've seen and some of my teams have seen and, uh, or done or otherwise. So I look cool. forward to, uh, another one, Harrison. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, best of luck. Thanks for uh, even thinking of me as a possibility as a guest on your show. I'm an avid listener and I look forward to many more of a, of an episode and look forward to what perfect. You're well, you know, it's not going to stop folks. So just gear up for it. But again, Stephen, thank you. This is episode number 29. This is the interview segment and now it is adjourned. Cheers. Oh my God, that was joyous. Like, you know when I have feeling like when you have that adrenaline still pumping, like maybe you just got off the ski hill and you can still feel the wind in your hair. That's what I feel like every time I get off the booth of an interview because that shit was crazy, man. That, is that what the kids are saying? That shit slapped? Because it certainly did. Folks, had a great time doing that one. Um, we had a really good episode so far. Um, we're, we're over an hour here. I'm not going to talk long. Um, there's not much more to be said. There's going to be another episode probably coming out in the next couple of days. It might not even be a full week until the next one is out, folks. You have a lot, a lot to, it's a good day to be a listener. I can tell you that right now. If there's one thing I'm certain of, it's a damn good day to be a listener of this program. The program you hold dear. Um, I tried out Panda Express for the first time the other day. Very good. Um, for those of you not familiar, Panda Express is a Chinese fast food chain spread across America. I don't know if it's all over America, but I've seen a lot of them, and I had to try it out, okay? I love Chinese food. Sometimes, you know, when I think of Chinese food and I'm just going solo, I'm usually thinking, like, mall Chinese food. There's something about mall Chinese food. Like, it's, it's never, it's, like, always going to be good. You can guarantee it. But I've heard a lot about Panda Express, so I had to go try it out. I walked in there. I was very impressed to find a buffet-style, like, like they, they have it all out there. You know, you can see everything. So you can, but the problem is with that, you can barely make it down the line because you've already filled up your goddamn plate because you can, you just say yes to everything they put in front of you. But I, I, I asked the lady, I'm like, you know what? I can't decide. I can't decide. I'm going to get, uh, I'm get the large entree there. But you know what, ma'am? I'm going to have to get a side as well because I want, I want my chicken chow mein noodle, but I also want my fried rice. So I'm going to get, I'm going to get the, the noodles going to be in the, uh, the large entree, ma'am. And I'll get a side of that chicken fried rice because you know I love that shit. I got to get that too. And she's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So she's like, shows me the sizing, gets me all contorted. 
And she asked me again, which one would you like in the side, ma'am? And a uh, side, sir. And I was like, I would love the chicken fried rice as a side, ma'am. And then she goes on. She starts loading my noodles, and I start getting excited. And then I just, and then all of a sudden, I look at her, and, and, and she starts throwing in the fried rice into my entree. And I look at her, and I said, oh. She's like, no, you still wanted the fried rice as a side? And I'm like, what? I wanted only the fried rice in my side. She's like, okay, well, what will you put in the side now? I'm like, well, I don't need anything now. There's fried rice in my entree. She's like, okay, well, then what else can I get you for the side? I'm like, well, perhaps nothing. I was very confused, and I walked out of there, and I, kind of, I didn't make a scene. I was kind of pissed. I'm also such a pussy. Like, in a situation like that, like, she, like, blatantly, like, just didn't do what I said. And then, like, I just didn't say anything. I just let it happen. Just let it happen. Just, and I just watch it happen. I just don't even address it. I'm like, okay, look, I'll have chicken fried noodle then. Chicken fried noodle at the same time, I guess. Don't fucking ask me any questions. Or I should have just been like, oh, no. No, go ahead. What are you serving? What do you want to put in there? Do you, what, what, are you, what are your favorites? Because I don't know. Why don't we just start throwing shit in the Whatever you want, just throw it on in. I find I love, um, I love going out to eat and, and I love fast food service. And I'm, I love when people do their jobs well. But sometimes when people don't do their jobs well, it just it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. Especially like, and I like how a lot of people sometimes will say like, like, well, don't be mean. Like, you know, they're just working. They're just trying to make money. I'm like, yeah, they're working. Yeah, they're working. Do your job right. That's how you work. Okay. I was at Burger King the other day. I almost, the kid was, he couldn't have been over 15. I'm not joking. It, I almost pulled, I almost reached across the counter and pulled this kid up right over the counter. I was, I had enough of it with him. At Burger King, they got the, they got the kids, like they worked the front. I don't know if they don't have enough employees, but they're working the front desk with the headphone on to the drive-thru. And this guy's like, this kid's like, I don't know if he's trying to talk to me or the guy in the drive-thru. And then like, he's staring at me in the eye and then I'm asking him a question. And then he, he, he like looks at me confused and pulls back the earphone and he's like, oh, sorry, I'm taking a drive-thru order. And I'm like, well, then why the fuck are you looking at me dead in the eye, Skippy? Why are you making eye contact with me when you're in a different conversation with these stupid headphones on your head? You're lucky I don't lift. I think his name was Cliff too, which is just, I'm like, Cliff? You're lucky I don't reach across this counter right now that you act like a moat that I cannot access you, but you're right there, buddy. And I might come at you and teach you a lesson or two. Can we get the kids working the drive-thru off the front desk? If I see that again, Burger King, I'm going to corporate. And a show of this stature, you're damn right I'm going to have my voice heard. Craziness. Or like the other day, I go to Whataburger all the time. Whataburger's deadly. Fries are okay. Burgers are good, though. Some people, I, some people say it's not good, but Whataburger's a southern thing. It's only, I think it's only like, it's in like Texas and then, what is it, east of that, I think. I don't believe it's in like California and shit, but it's good. It's good. But when you go there, like if I'm not telling right now, like, you know, when you go somewhere and you're like, ah, I'm just going to get the sandwich. You have to like scream that into the speaker eight times. Cause I could be like, yeah, I'll just get the, I'll just get the sandwich please. And I'll uh, make that a, I'll get a b double bacon cheeseburger, just the sandwich. And then she's like, okay, well, what would you like for your side? I'm like, no, I'm not getting a side. Uh, I'm just going to get the sandwich. And then like, it'll, it'll always come back to what do you want on the side? And then you keep saying, you say it. No, you say no six times in the conversation. It doesn't matter. You go to Whataburger around here, you're getting a fry, you're getting a drink and you're going to pay for it. And so you better open that bag and take a little peek in there and make sure everything's looking you know, up to snuff. Cause it, it can get a little crazy pretty fast. All right. But folks, I don't know why I went on that little rant. I didn't have to. I think we had a good time today. We had a lot of joyous conversation. We learned a lot. We learned a lot about uh, business up north there, Ontario. Um, a little bit of a blast of the past. One of my former bosses, a really 
very smart man, and um, we'll be hearing more from him. All right, folks? I'm excited. I feel good about this. This is this is a little bit longer of an episode than normal project ones, but, uh, you know, we like to keep things moving around here, all right? On a social, geographic, poly, economic, um, I mean, society podcast like this, we're going to cover it all, all right? That's what we do here on the air. All right, folks, thank you so much. Number Episode number 29 has been adjourned, okay? We've adjourned it. And I'm certainly happy to be bringing you forth this program, and I look forward to talking to you very, very soon. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. Once again, folks, this is your host of the most, Hopsy, baby boy. This is the project. This is the best time of your life. Thank you, folks. Let's go.